And, and, and I'm not arguing that this is true. I, I think this is, this is support that this is true. It, it, it's concerning me. Too many people are viewing the lens of sales that the humans involved are bugs, not features. Mike, we went, we went on a little hiatus. You got busy or something. We did go on a little hiatus. Um, I think between the Thanksgiving break and lots going on. Happy Thanksgiving, sir. Yes. Did you, did you Although spend that, time with family? It, it, it feels like it was a while ago. Yeah, I did, uh, you know, obviously a little social distancing outdoor activity with my parents and yeah, it's interesting, you know, um, you know, th Thanksgiving used to be like, hey, you're you take a break from work, you spend time with your family. And, and now we're kind of like, well, wait a second. That's all I do is spend time with my family. Right. <laughs> so it kind of has a little bit of a, you know, maybe I'm spending too much time with my family. Um, so anyhow, very, very interesting. Um, so, hey, a small piece of news came out um, just just a day or so ago. Um, Slack is being bought by. See how I did that? I accidentally said Slack first, but recovered. yes. <laughs> Salesforce buying Slack. Pretty what wild. Do you think? Twenty-eight what do you think? billion. Yeah, it's it it is it's, fascinating that that. Wh why do you think Slack is worth twenty-eight billion? User base, brand, uh, from a from a pure IP perspective, I. I don't see it, um, but brand and user base. This is interesting that you say brand. Um, I think it really depends who you talk to. And, and, and I mean, I think Slack is a good company. You know, Stuart Butterfield's got a, you know, certainly has a good reputation, but it is interesting because, you, you know, there, there's a lot of Slack hate out there just because, I mean, I think they, a lot of people use it bad. Here's why I think Slack is worth what it's worth. And it, it, it'll be interesting because it'll, it, it'll kind of trace back to our last podcast when we were talking about the MarTech report. I think they're worth what they're worth because of their integrations. That's what they did. I think, I, I think you know, people talk about Slack in terms of, in terms of the app and, and absolutely there's nothing special from what I understand, you know, about the underlying code and technology. They talk about the user base. I, I mean, I got to say that I don't I, like, I don't simple user base that's using the system. You know, if you look at what Microsoft teams are doing and, and, and whatnot, like the, the switching cost for something like that, just on, on using, cause we, you know, they talk about it from a messaging standpoint, but all the integrations that they built and how Slack really embrace the, um, you know, take your app and allow people to do it in Slack and, 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 and vice versa where I don't think any other competitors come anywhere close to that integration ecosystem. What that's, an that, that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't, I hadn't really, that had not crossed my mind, but that certainly adds to the valuation. I mean, you got to remember Salesforce released chatter or whatever it was chatter that Benioff said was going to kill email. What was that? 10, 12 years ago, and that thing just died a, died a Google, slow death. 
Google released, um, and I think I mean, in order for Salesforce to compete with Microsoft and others going forward, they they had to have something that would allow them to to have that Slack like so component so think, in the enterprise. I I think that there's two elements, and and I think maybe we'll we'll make this big. This isn't our big news segment um, for for today. Maybe we'll make it the big news segment for later, which which is that that question about Salesforce because I think there is a lot of a lot of interest there. Um, <clears throat> I think that like I know for me, I don't like that that Salesforce is buying Slack. Um, you know, for, for for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, one of them is you know obviously we're very deep in the HubSpot ecosystem, and you know certainly you know. You know, the announcement from Slack is we are going to remain a 100% independent company, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm, I'm sure that is the plan today. Um, I, I, I've sure. seen Salesforce's sure. acquisitions. I know what they do. I know, you know, I, mean, I, I, you know, I understand all of that. We've all um, seen this show before. Right. And, and I remember thinking, you know, when, when, when the rumor first came out, I'm like, oh, and, and I remember thinking, and I've thought a couple of times about Microsoft Teams and, and, you know, especially when you think about the fact that I pay for Slack, I pay for Zoom. I've got all these things, and it's like, well, either through Google because we use we use Google for their Office suite, but we're still very Microsoft centric um, because of Word, PowerPoint. Not as much Excel though for advanced stuff. We we, we do still use Excel. Um, both of those. I, I'm let me back up. Even if we wanted to get off of Microsoft and just go onto Google Office Docs because we work with more than just SaaS companies, our 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 customers, our clients are, you know, very heavy outlook, very heavy Microsoft. Yep. So they send us Microsoft documents far more than they send us Google documents. So, so anyways, so through both of those systems, I could get chat, video, this, this, and it would be free and I'm already paying for it. Right. Um, and it would simplify my tech stack, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember thinking, hey, you know, maybe I should look at Microsoft teams because I've heard good things about, I've heard good things about them. I, I understand they've got a very good NPS score. Um, I, I understand it's actually a very stable, which I think with the use that Zoom's been getting, that's not always the case. Um, and again, I haven't done a, a, a deep enough comparison, but I remember the first thought I had was, oh, how am I going to do all the things and manage all the, th you know, manage all the integrations that, that, that I have in Slack, right? Um, and, and the thing that's interesting, which I'll circle back to, because I think everybody has platform envy. Right. Um, hey, dude, how big's your platform? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there. But I, I think everybody has platform envy. Everybody wants to be a platform. Slack was Slack. Right. 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 I mean, in, in, in a whole lot of ways. I mean, you and you could you could bring out that Slack was an inferior product because it had no real video. I mean, Zoom came out with their chat functionality, which, you know, we tried to use for three days and then said, okay, yeah, nah, forget that. But, you know, bet between, you know, Google, Microsoft, all, all those things, you know, Slack was just this. Um, why did that sustain it? And, and the interesting thing is they, like they added a, a phone feature or at least an audio feature a couple of years ago. I think we used it twice just kind of as a joke, but it was like, you know, one of or just want, or just or hey, I just want to try it out. See what it is. Right, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Right, like right, we were right. just kidding around. Like hey, let's try Curious. it out. Right, right. Um, but 
but you know, Slack, like I like the fact that we weren't using Slack for a video. It's like Slack had this, and it's actually one of the reasons why I think we use Slack really well. You know, we, we, we've worked pretty hard to establish some clear protocols of when email, when, when Slack, when this, when this. Um, and, and, you know, Slack having just this functionality actually kept it really simple for me. They built the integrations that, that made it, you know, a very central communication hub. Um, and, you know, they sold for $28 billion. Now, I don't know how much money I didn't look before the show because I wasn't sure how deep we'd get into this you know, like how much they raised versus that, but, but, um, you know, they went public, they got, they got a premium. I, I, th I think, you know, if you had told them you're going to, you're going to exit at $28 billion, right, they probably would have said, okay, they probably would have signed up for that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would imagine. So, you know, and, 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 and I, you know, I, I think you've got this right now. I think you've got a battle going on between, and this is what we'll talk about in the future. Um, Google, Microsoft and Salesforce is trying to come into the, is, is trying to make it the big three. Right, you got Facebook and Amazon over here, and then the battle for the office, um, you know, to, to be the office suite is, you know, has been Microsoft or um, or Google. Would you agree with that? Yeah, one hundred percent. Right, right. And I think Salesforce is trying to come in number three. You know, you have Oracle at the, you know, at the ultra high enterprise level that, you know, as their, I don't know if they're actually going to make their investment in TikTok or not, but as that kind of showed itself oracles trying to figure out what the hell are we today and and you know can you imagine that you would have talked one day you'd say okay what's the state sustainability path for oracle like could you imagine that, that that's actually no. a legitimate question could could you imagine that there would be a conversation about you know enterprise business platform tech and you'd have to go oh yeah there's oracle like you forget that Oracle was was a player. Dude, well, that you well, yeah, that you forget Oracle even exists. Like when I hear yeah. their name, I'm just like, who? Yeah, who I mean, I, you know, I, I when 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 you know when I sold my family, you know, when my family sold our consulting business, my my initial plan was I was going to go into you know I forget all the stupid travel business, which is what we were in. Um, I'm going to become a high tech salesperson. I'll go to work for Oracle you know, become a millionaire on their stock options. You know, they, they, they were the tech sales organization. Absolutely. My yeah. wife used to work there. I know. I know. Amazing how things change. Anyway, so we will, uh, clearly there is a lot to talk about as it relates to this. We may, may, maybe we'll make that, actually, we probably should make that the, the focus for our next episode. But uh, we are overdue on, on our next topic. So if you're ready, sir. I am ready. So, so now it's probably about three or so months ago, um, Gartner, um, and it's the CEB part of Gartner. For those of you that either don't know or don't remember, Gartner bought CEB. CEB had their sales practice. CEB was the company that did challenger sales. So now the sales practice in Gartner, they're now the sales practice in Gartner. And they came out with um, their report on the future of sales. So since in our last episode, we covered the future of MarTech report, we thought it would only be fair given that the show is the black line between sales and marketing, that we would talk about the future of sales. Um, so Mike, I'll let you kick it off. Um, what was your it, well, thought it, about it? it? It's, your... First, it's, it's a bit ironic that you bring up the the did you ever think we would be in a place where we where we forget to talk about Oracle? 
Like that's how I feel when I hear the word Gartner. I'm like, what? what? They, they like people. That company still really people still listen to them. That's that's interesting because I think Gartner all like Gartner to me is more. I I I am more aware of Gartner today than I was three, four, five years ago. So I guess it maybe. Really uh, see, no, I'm, I'm totally like it, we used to make the joke. It, we, we would hear from CIOs all the time, hey, you know, like Gardner, you guys aren't part of the Gardner Magic Quadrant, can't make a bet on you. And it's like, nobody ever got fired for buying AB, IBM. Nobody ever got fired for buying in the Gardner Magic Quadrant. But then again, nobody ever got promoted for buying and making some 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 risky bets. Um, and then just Gardner kind of fell off the radar for me years ago. You know, I... I, I think that that might have something to do that you're probably not. I, I think if you were still in, you know, heavily in enterprise, um, it, it, I, I, I think it would be different. Well, that, no, I mean, that's what I'm, you, but that's that's what I'm saying. Some some enterprise CIOs and CEOs. That's why Gardner still exists is be, because of those people that are very 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 risk averse. No, I, I, I don't. That's an interesting question we should have about Gartner at 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 some time. It would be um, so. Hannah, make a note of that. We should we we should have a topic. We can talk about uh, Magic Quadrant. We can talk about all these peer review sites. Um, that, that that would be an interesting topic in terms of. Um, yeah, because they're, they're they're effectively they're all game. They're, they're all the systems. And Megan was on a couple of weeks ago from HubSpot and. You know, okay. that's Hold on. a lot of we're, more we're, we're getting we're getting way off track. Right. But okay. I, okay. Sorry. Sorry. Hold on, hold on. But I, but I, but I, but I have to say this: I don't think that you can talk about G two Captera or any of those things and Gartner in the same breath. I I would. I'm not saying there's not gaming to Magic Quadrant, but but Gartner has and like it. This isn't self promoted. It's not peer driven. It's Gartner analysts. They're not, you know, G2 is selling something to the people that they're reviewing to, to you know, they're, they're their revenue model. So the, the people that they review are the, are the customers for them because they're the ones that pay them for that. You don't pay Gartner for, you don't pay Gartner for the review. You do not. You might to get Gardner. on their to get on their to even get on their radar, you they, they're not announcing cool vendor that isn't sponsoring one of their trade shows. Like I I know this Look, I, again. Fact, I don't. We'll get don't we'll, we'll get into you. this in the future. But I I I, okay. I think I, I I don't like. I mean to call to, to compare Magic Quadrant and G two. I mean G two would be very grateful for you to say that. Right, because because they want to be perceived that I, I don't I don't think that they're anywhere near the same. We'll talk about that in a future subject. Let's talk about okay. the future sales. So the there topic today All is right. the future of sales, not garden. sales. Right. But okay, so go ahead. But it, that's why I read some of this data with just uh, I. I, I, well, I don't know well, that. Well, I hold on a second, Mike. If, if, if so, if I told you this was CEB, mm -hmm. would you feel the same way? I'm not, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm not as familiar. I, I can't speak you, with an authority on CEB. Are you, are you familiar with I am familiar sales? with who CEB, yes, absolutely. But right. so, I'm not as familiar with their business model as I am with Gardner as a whole prior so, so, to yeah, CEB. 
I, I would add something else to you where, where again, I think, I think we got to get Gartner out of it. And, and look, I've got issues with the report and I think, you know, let, let, let's talk about that. So let's get it. Let's get into those versus. But, okay. So let's, let, let's start. I want to say that. one last thing about Gartner is that I, I think one of the myths about Gartner is that Gartner was always only it. I'll tell you where Gartner is, is kicking ass and has some of the greatest insights out there is around supply chain. They've got a supply chain practice. They've got a healthcare practice. So Gartner is far, far, far bigger than just IT. You should, so, um, and, and by the way, I would say that their sales focused content is among the best content out there. Um, I, you know, they, their, their sales practice, they have a Smarter with Gartner, that, that's their resource center. Um, and, and their sales stuff, I, I, I subscribe to the, um, to the emails. I follow the stuff. It, 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 and it, so I, I, I mean, from my perspective, I look at I look at Gartner sales material and go, okay, there it's legit stuff. Now, just like I look at Scott Brinker and I think he's as legit as they come. And I obviously had issues with um, with that report. I'm I'm going to have some issues here as well. I was a big fan of CEB. I had issues there too. So let's talk about the report. You know, Mike. So for for, for what it's worth, Gartner is is you know their sales content. I, I you know I look at it as 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 very very legitimate. Now. When, when I think about the, you know, overarching, and we'll get into some of the very specific things later. Um, so A, it was a very, um, I thought it was insightful. I thought it was interesting. I think it was um, some of the best insights for me. And, and, you know, one of the things I like about Gartner, which, which, is, which is low value, it, it connects to why you don't, to where it loses some credibility. But some of what I, I like about it is, you know, their, their job is to give research around things that their customer base is already thinking about and is already identifying, um, as opposed to, um, you know, really finding, you know, totally like new, new um, areas of that they're not thinking about. I'm not saying they don't do that at all, you know, but obviously if, you know, if you're a fortune 500 company, you're looking for someone that's giving you research on this trend that you've already identified. So, so some of what I found really valuable is the way things are being talked about and, and the way things are labeled is, is some, you know, tells me that's how the fortune 500 is labeling these issues. Is think that very interesting. That right. is the way they're thinking about these right these types of problems or trends. And, and so here's the first thing that I say, and, and this is where I get like so much sales research out there. So much sales research out there, you know, talks about this future of sales and begins to quantify, um, you know, you could go back to the CEB 57%, you know, people are 57% through their buying process before they talk to a salesperson, et cetera, et cetera. I, I asked the question, okay, well, what, what are you defining as sales? What are you defining as a sale, right? And and so my my biggest frustration about this report, and 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 maybe they're just not giving it to me because I don't actually pay them for this, uh, <laughs> but like the, the source of the data, you know, what was the universe? How was the data collected? What were the definitions? Isn't clear, and so you know, for example, um, Gartner expects that by twenty twenty five. 80% of B2B sales interactions between suppliers and buyers will occur in digital channels. I could both go, I look at that observation and I go, duh. 
And I go, that's complete horseshit. And and the reason I, I had I, 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 I had the same read because of the, I, I'd I'd like to know where the well, how how they're making that inference. Well, it, which also opens the question. I I'm actually really curious right now. How does how much is done in digital channels now? Is it ten percent now, and it's going to be eighty percent? That's wow. And then okay, that's a major shift. Is it 60% now and it's going to be 80%? Okay, not so much. And, and so, for example, I'll, you know, I'll use one of my favorite um, examples for this. I, I had a good friend of mine who was a senior executive in sales with Staples. And um, I used to you know, give him a hard time because you know, I would ask him you know, how the copy center was going and you know, is he keeping the aisles clean? And, and, and he would tell me that he was excited because he just got promoted, that he now had his own register that, that um, he controlled. Right. But, and a red uh, stapler. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, but he, he was he was on the BDB side. He actually, you know, came to Staples as part of their corporate express acquisition. Um, and, you know, he, he was involved in the sale of Staples as the program and the platform to buy any number of any number of things and that was one sale but then you know he had a team of account managers the account managers managed the resale the you know all the transact the, the 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 tens of thousands of transactions that occurred because of that one sale um and so when you know if, if you go back say 10 years ago that account manager was absolutely crucial was a sales person on a day-to-day -day basis and you know if you and like if you look at the average revenue that an account manager managed it was a fraction of what an account manager manages today because 90 percent or more of what's being bought is being bought on their digital platform and so 10,000 sales are made between suppliers and buyers right digitally one sale is not made. So we have a very high percentage that's digital, except that if it wasn't for the one non-digital sale. Or the one sale, right. The 10,000 10, sales, would, sales wouldn't occur. So, yep. so you, know, you know, what does that mean? So, so when people start talking about sales, I think it's really, really important that, that you define what aspect of sales are you talking about, right? And so, so that's one... Um, you know, big element um, that, you know, it, it, in, in the introduction, our research suggests that the future of sales will see a permanent transformation strategy, processes and resource allocation that moves the sales organization from seller centric to buyer centric and from analog to hyper automated digital first engagement with customers. Well, you know, outside of the fact that, that we've been selling, saying that sales organizations are going to move from being seller-centric to buyer-centric for decades, um, I look at that and I go, well, there's nothing new there. That's been happening for years. I, I might go hyper-automated. Well, again, yeah, you know what? That, that 10,000 sales with stables are hyper-automated. Are hyper-automated through. Right. So, Absolutely. Right. So, 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 you know, what, what are we talking about? 
what constitutes what constitutes a sale is is right and, and, and so foundational you know, piece that they're missing right you know i i, I asked the question i'll ask you mike you know who's the greatest football player of all time probably tom brady I'm not a Tom Brady fan. I'm just saying. You're going to go Tom Brady over Jim Brown, Walter Payton. Peyton Manning. Well, you know, I, I, I think, I think, I think Tom Brady, as much as I, I'm a bigger Peyton Manning fan. Okay. But let me, so fine. You think it's Tom Brady. Okay. Well, what if you needed a left tackle? Do you think, do you still think that Tom Brady is the greatest football player of all time? If I need a left tackle? Yeah. No, not at that point. Cause I, I need a left right. tackle. Right. And, and so, and so my point is like the whole conversation of who was the greatest football player of all time is a silly conversation, not just because you can't compare generations, but because, well, it depends what type of football player or what position you need. Right. So, so they're all football players. Right. By the way, do you know who the most valuable player typically meaning the highest contract value on a football team is, do you know what position is the highest paid? Typically, quarterback. Do you know what the second highest paid is? Linebacker, maybe. Nope. Left tackle. Left tackle. You would they're know that. They're responsible for protecting the quarterback. They're they're responsible for protecting the blind side of the quarterback because most quarterbacks are left-handed. I'm sorry, left most quarterbacks are right-handed. Right, right hand, right, right-handed. Yeah. Right. Hence the book, the blind side which is the money ball of football. Yeah. Right. Right. A lot of people, most people say wide receiver, running back, right. Left tackle. Right. The other thing that's interesting about left tackle is they probably make the second most amount of money because they are in the league longer than running backs and wide receivers as well. So, so my point here, and, but, you know, all, all you got to do is, is, is watch a quarterback whose left tackle just got hurt. By the way, remember Joe Theismann? Yeah, his left tackle was hurt at that point. Joe Jacoby was out of the game. Yeah. Right. You know, the, the joke is that Joe Theismann still blames Joe Jacoby for ending his football career. Um, right. So, you know, all you got to do is look at how good that quarterback is without a really good left tackle. Right. So, so kind of all those things come in to say, you know, again, what is sales? Here's the next central observation that they have. And then I'm going to ask you your, your, your take on it before I give you mine. Otherwise, I'll just, this will just be my monologue because you can tell I'm loaded for beer. <laughs> Gardner expects that by 2025, 60% of B2B sales organizations will transition from experience and intuition-based selling to data-driven selling, managing, mer- merging their sales processes, applications, data, and analytics into a single operational practice. I'm going to say that's very, very hard and unlikely and why is that there's not enough observers out there there's not enough observations there's not enough people that can make those inferences of so so i would argue that that is the reason that the trend will be into a single operational practice so i i i would have found the statement 60 percent of b2b sales organizations will transition their sales processes, applications, data, and analytics into a single operational practice, right? And you know, I would say that because that's revenue operations. That's what revenue operations is about, 
right? And I think because of that lack of observations, right, this whole idea that, you know, modern sales, modern marketing, you can measure everything, everyone will know what works, what, right? I think there was that myth that we would all have this data and we would all be great at interpreting the data. And, it, you know, it was, you know, they just had to be taught to use it, right? And now we're saying, eh, you know what, it's a different mindset. It's a different scale set. It, 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 it's kind of rare. And I think that's one of the main reasons why strategic RevOps is, is, is emerging. What, where they lose me is from experience and intuition-based selling to data-driven selling. Now, that says that data-driven selling is not, does not utilize, maybe utilizes the wrong, um, says experience does not include and intuition in, experience and intuition. Is, is, ter is tertiary, right? Um, you know, I'm a baseball guy. We talked about this before. I love data. I think when people insult data, they're, they're, they're full of it. But I think if you were to manage your team by the data, well, you know, the experiment of putting a manager in a dugout who knows little to nothing about baseball and just implements, you know, the data-driven scorecard has- He's, proven, he's some brilliant statistician that- <laughs> You know, has proven not to work. I, I, I think that into, I think experience- intuition and data come together. Now, so like I hate the term data driven, you know, cause I, I, I will say data is like statistics, which is like a lamppost for a drunk. It's used more for support than for elimination, right? <laughs> what does the data tell us? What's the honest answer to the question? What does the data tell us? The honest, the honest answer is, what would you like the data to tell us? Right. So, so that's where data driven um, has, I think, exhausted a lot of people. Um, so, you know, we talk about hypothesis driven growth. Right. So, hypothesis, you know, you know, the, the scientific method, having hypothesis, data is involved, but I don't think you get a good hypothesis from just data. I, because, because data can only really tell you what has happened. It's intuition. That, that lets you see what the data is telling you could happen so that you can create a test. Make a, so that you can create a more informed decision or test. See, I, I, lo I love the, well, I know you're going to, I know you're going to add on to that, or at least I, I love the hypothesis driven strategy. Like I, 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 yeah, I think see, that's, see. A, that, that, that's something not, not many people have talked about. And you, you've obviously done a really good job in, in writing some, some, phenomenal posts around that not to not to give you too many compliments um but yeah go ahead yeah so so i i think that um you, you know what what this is telling me is that there's and and, and i'm not arguing that this is true i, I think this is this is support that this is true it, it, it's concerning me too many people are viewing the lens of sale that the humans involved are bugs, not features. Right. Right. And, 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 I, you know, we, we, we talked in an episode a couple of years ago about the auto tuning of and, and, and kind of how, you know, if Facebook had their way, you know, Facebook is trying to take the human out of human. 
because humans are unpredictable. We do di we do different things. Here, here's the most amazing data point that I've heard this year. You ready for this? How long do you think it took Moderna to design the vaccine that is showing a 90% effectiveness rate? How long do you think it took for them to design it? Two days. Two, so you saw two days. Now, if you didn't know that, what would you have said? You would have said, it would have taken months. Six months, right, right. right. It, it it's six months minimal, right. Right, two days. But that's, but that, right, but that, that, that's science moving in, in, well, in a very but, accelerated. But, the science was already there for them to, 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 to accomplish that. But that would not have happened without intuition. Right, you know, absolutely. Right, 100%. that was not, the data made that possible, but we keep talking about experience and intuition as though it's bad, as opposed to saying, no, you know. Intuition is, is a phenomenal thing. Like, I, I, like when I, and this is part of the problem that I see that's happening with reports like this and why I get sometimes very frustrated when I read them. You see a lot of executives that, that read a report like this and they're like, shit, let's just fire half our salespeople and hire a huge data analytics staff. And we'll just run all these, we'll build all these machine learning algorithms. And, and we're gonna, we're just gonna fundamentally change our business that way. And so, and, and you're right. I mean, they are the feature versus bug um, scenario. And it's, it, it, it is, it's gonna, it creates a major disconnect within, within companies. And I think some companies are gonna read stuff like this and take it as, um, so, so here, here's what I think. I don't think that it's some companies are going to read stuff like this. I think because people are going in that direction, because that's what's happening. This stuff is going to be written. misled. This is, well, no, this isn't causing that to happen. That happening is causing this report to be written, which then reinforces that channel because we keep looking at it through the prism of like data is beginning to jump the shark potentially. Um, I, you know, I remind people that Jack Welch, who was the biggest fan of Six Sigma in history, said sales was a discipline that Six Sigma wouldn't um, work for because Six Sigma is about eliminating variance and all the value in sales is in the variance. Um, anybody that has like, there are some really strong and fast rules of poker that if you follow the rules of poker, you will not get destroyed playing the game of poker. You also will not win much money playing that because good poker players know the rules. Great poker players know when to break the rules, right? Um, I, I was actually coaching, I was on a sales coaching call earlier today and I said, look, what you did here is not like that. This is not best practices for this. I said, no, I need you to understand. If you only do best practices, you will be at best only an average salesperson, right? So when you violate a best practice, you want to be careful. Like the, the, the point of it is be careful, be purposeful, know what you're doing because there is a higher risk of failure. It actually goes back to, you know, best practices is, is risk aversion, but risk aversion doesn't yep. get you, you know, preventing failure does not equal winning the game, right? Especially in a game, you know, like the other problem in sales is a sales interaction doesn't have a distribution right? It's neither Gaussian nor Pareto. 
distribution. To go back to that, our conversation last time, right? <laughs> it's neither a bell curve nor nor an 80-20 rule. One wins the sale, right? And 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 so that intuition and that experience, like how many times have you and what you're doing, you know, there is this thing that is so obvious that this would be true. It, it's not even worth debating, except for the fact that it's not true. Like it is so obvious that you should do this, except I've done it a hundred times and it has never worked, right? That experience is what prevents you from, you know, from, you know, if-, if Just making, keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again. Well, well if, if the path to a successful sale was obvious, then it would be easy. You, it wouldn't be hard. You wouldn't like, I wouldn't exist, right? <laughs> You know, so, so like the, the problem is we say the, the way it's worded. Now, it's not clear that it's either or, but it's from experience and intuition based to data driven, right? Which to me infers you're over here and now you're going to be over here. It, you know, if it said that it involves it, and, and there are some, some images, you know, that indicate that, you know, maybe that is what they're talking about, but, but we keep discounting experience experience and intuition i would well, I firmly to, agree to, to, to go back to go back to a, a number of analogies that that we make around sports the same thing holds true of like we're watching a football game and it's at the end of the football game and a coach calls a calls a play and we have if they lose the game we're like why would he do that like the, 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 you should never do that and then if they win, it's like, oh my God, he's brilliant. Right. Yep. Like, yep. and then he, yep. you know, he's basing those decisions not only off of the data, but off of his intuition, his experience. And the same holds true in in every part of sports, but also every every part of business as well. What I want to hit one more point that I take issue with, and then we'll wrap this up with some things that that I think are some good takeaways. So, so I want to get your I want to get your take, then I'll give you my take. It's it's very interesting. Um, Index percentage of customers by generation who report high skepticism of sales rep claims. Baby boomers, 1x. So that's the baseline. And this is based on 809 B2B buyers. So baby boomers, 1x. Gen Xers, 1.4x. Millennials, 2.2x. 44% of millennials prefer no sales rep interaction in a B2B purchase setting. That's the... That's the data in there. What do you think about that? And, and specifically, 44% of millennials prefer no sales rep interaction in, in a B2B purchase setting. So a couple of things. One is, I mean, results are obviously not statistically significant by any means. Um, so let's just put that out there. Um, but two, I would, I would it's a, one, it's, you're generalizing the response. But two, I'm gonna, uh, I'd, I'd call bullshit on it. Like, I think. So do you disagree with the number? One hundred percent. I think forty-four percent of millennials prefer bad sales rep interactions in a B two B purchasing setting, and I think one hundred percent of millennials and one hundred percent of Gen Xers and one hundred percent of baby boomers want no bad sales rep interaction, but like, I, I think 
the millennials that I've sold to, like providing them insight and value and things along those lines. I mean, they, they all want to have those types of interactions. If you can, if you can drive value for them or provide insight. So I don't disagree with the number. I'm not surprised it's that low. I'm actually surprised it's that low. I disagree with the conclusion that that number infers, right? And and so, a I can see in a I can see in in somewhat of a little bit of a B to C context, but in a B to B purchasing setting, and also, am I buying in a B to B purchasing setting? Am I buying a pen or am I buying some complex piece so, of software or a complex piece of hardware? So, so, so this is where we, 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 we so I think there's two points here and, and, and I think you've, you've nailed half of it. The, the half that I think maybe you haven't nailed, you know, millennials, and I can vouch for this in my experience, they don't like talking to people. They're, they're comfortable texting, you know, they, they go texting first, Snapchats, this, that. They're, they're into asynchronous communication. They're into, you know, all, all you know, they're very, I, very comfortable with that. Too. 100% agree with right. you. Um, they, they go to the self-serve checkout lane, as do I in a grocery store, if I'm in a grocery store. Like all of, so, so they're very, very comfortable with that. Um, they, weren't, they weren't conditioned to simple things being managed by humans. So when humans aren't involved, they're very, very comfortable with it. It's their go-to. I agree with that. And so I think that um, it's important to say, is this rep interaction actually valuable? Like I've always said, how do you know if your rep did the right thing? Would they have paid for the experience they had with the rep? Um, so, you know, going to your point, I think 100% of people would prefer zero, no value sales rep interactions. Um, so where is the value in that interaction? And yeah, we should be reducing the pull on reps. Rep, rep should be moving more to a facilitator's role than to a, a communicator's role, if you will. So, so you have that, which the fit. Now, the next thing that you're getting at, which is, which is um, what I think is the key thing. What type of purchase is a millennial at the type of company that they're, you know, we're, we're, they're not doing, you know, 50 people companies in this study. What type of purchase is a millennial involved? They're not involved in, the, the big enterprise sale on the strategic initiative, they're involved in, um, you know, they're beginning to make the decision, do we use Snowflake or this? Do we use this or do we use this? Where they are the subject matter expert for their company. It's, you know, fitting in with a, it, it, you know, it goes back to the, you know, the equivalent of, no, I don't want you to call me up. I don't want to have to talk to you to order my office supplies. But to determine which company I'm going to order my office supplies from, I like, again, we're right into there. And so, yes, I would fully expect that millennials would be far less appreciative of talking to salespeople because the sales that they're involved in are probably far, far simpler. And, and, and that element isn't being normalized, or at least it's not being clearly communicated. Or, no, I, 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 I wholeheartedly agree with that. But the other, the other thing, now that we're, that we're digging into this a little bit more, no sales rep interaction, I, I don't, you're inferring like getting on the phone with somebody or meeting with them face-to-face -face or doing a Zoom conference or whatever, but uh, like 
I can understand what you're saying about them doing wanting asynchronous communication, written communication, you know, digital communication, which that's still sales rep interaction. Um, what you're telling me, email you you emailing a salesperson is not sales rep interaction. I'm, you know I'm what? just I'm, you know I'm what? Honestly, if I have to, if 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 we're doing something that's managed by by email, that I need to manage it by email. Yeah, I would say I would prefer not to deal with a salesperson. I would far prefer to deal with a service person. I'd, I'd rather deal with accounting. I just had to renew something. Um, and and while the salesperson, while the renewal salesperson was dealing with me, it was a pain in the freaking you know what. And I finally got like the, the lead person who just, who's responsible for the process, finally took in the lead in the communication. And what had taken four weeks to that point got done in a week because we just there you know there was a, that, but that goes back to my bad that goes back to my bad interaction well, well but 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 it, it, part of what i would say is i don't think well so not only was it a bad interaction but i don't need like the person that i have in a sales role i don't need them having that communication but by the way i don't i don't want them as the customer having that communication and candidly if i were the company i wouldn't want to be spending the money i'm spending on a salesperson you know the the, the, the unique talent of a salesperson, like the fact that they were involved in that, I think was a, was a mistake. So, um, and, you know, in some ways I, I could very easily see in the next, I actually resented that I had an email back and forth. Um, you know, part of it was they were throwing a bullshit um, price increase on me. And so I basically, you know, had to get through to the point that I'm happy to renew, but, you know, I made, I made clear up front when we signed this, that, that, you know, unless I increased what I was getting, the price wasn't going to change. And that, that's what finally got to, okay, yeah, of course, you know, we'll give it to, right. And, and so the fact that I couldn't do that through an automated process, frankly, I resent it. Um, I think it's a low value process to begin with. Um, where, where I thought you might go is like video, is video sales rep interaction. Um, you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I do. Um, but I'm also going to, partially disagree with you on sales reps being interactive through 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 different digital communications whether that's chat whether it's email no, sometimes whether it's i'm i'm and, not and saying some, that like like some some people i agree with you like and part of this is that is the, the problem with this research is that it's saying 44% of millennials prefer no sales rep interaction in a b2b purchase setting like maybe the, the solution is okay. Maybe we make our digital interactions better. So, and what type of interaction is it? Is it again? Is it email? Is it well, I'm face to face? Is it so? So I'll, I'll I'll go to something with you. I'll go. Here, here's a good battle. We might not have time for the question. Um, we got to be careful about these reports. We keep thinking we're going to be able to do a second segment. Um, <laughs> here's my. Um, I, I think when you the, the more digital it goes, the less need there is for a salesperson. You know, we we had Pete. One of our early guests was Pete, who who talked marketing is the new sales. Um, and and you know, Pete and I go back and forth often about yeah, our, you know, the relevance of salespeople. And and I agree with him in in his market for the product that he's selling. Um, it's a, it's a defined market. There's not a lot of variance. 
you know, it's, it's a very low variant place. The more at bats you get, the more questions you realize that every question falls into a category. So, so it's all a variation of, I mean, it could be a hundred questions. Well, what prevents you from having a hundred knowledge-based pages with videos and, and, and things? And I would say as that moves more and more to there than, than what we think of as salespeople, um, that, that that is, you know, they're not salespeople. I, I'm totally with you there. Right. And, and, and I would agree 100% that there is no question that the trend is moving there. By the way, where, where I think things are being missed is, you know, 20 years ago, maybe even a little bit more than that, the greatest compliment you could give a salesperson was they were a rainmaker. And, and what did rainmakers do? Rainmakers did the first interaction, right? Vernon Jordan, Washington, D.C., lawyer in Washington, D.C. He was the rainmaker. I don't know the last time Vernon Jordan filled out, you know, wrote a contract or a document. I can't, you know, it certainly hasn't been in the last 30 years, right? But he showed up. He changed how everybody thought about it. And his, ten, his team, his minions of, of good lawyers, but not anything special, managed the process. Great salespeople were the people that opened it up. Now, they also closed it, right? They were, they were closers, but it was a very different sales environment. And what's happened is we've moved, like we still value closing as, as a thing. So like, here's the, here's the funny thing. Let's go back to Staples. My friend closes a deal for $18 million. Contract is signed. How much revenue did Staples generate on that contract sign? At that point, probably nothing. Zero. The first $100,000 order got put in. He closes an $18 million deal. Here's what I know. When he tells when he tells me he closed, he just signed an $18 million contract. You know what I know? It's not going to be 18 million. It's like the government issuing a uh right. $300 million BPA it, to some it, company. It's just a blank purchasing it, agreement that says it might be 16 million. It might be 48 million, but it's not going to be 18 million. Right. Right. And, and, and we know that because most of those contracts have a minimum requirement, right? And so the revenue is generated through the thousands of sales that, that 20 years ago needed salespeople and today don't, right? And, and so that, that you know, the, the, the nature of that, um, you know, we, we, we've moved, I'm sorry, I've, I've lost track. So, so we, you know, we still worship the closer. But, but the truth is, in today's world, once the issue is defined, the, the value is in influencing the intent. Once there's true, clear intent, it's very process after that. And so we pay reps for getting the contracts on. I mean, I, I remember I, you know, I don't work with government contractors. 
but I was doing a presentation to a group of CEOs and there was a government contractor in the audience. This guy came back to me a couple of years later, said it was the most valuable advice he ever got. And he joked, you should have charged me for it because um, I was railing on RFPs. And he said, well, you know, Doug, look, that's how it works here. You know, they, you don't, you don't, you don't get business from the government at the level they're getting business from the government without going through an RFP. And, you know, actually pretty quickly, what we, what, what we identified was his sales team sold to procurement all the time because, you know, they got involved when the RFP was open because that's when they were looking for, you know, revenue was on. That's, what, that's the stage, right. That's the stage that they were looking for. So, right. Absolutely. So, so, so he was selling, they were selling, to, I think it was called the procurement officer, if I remember correctly. It, right. Yeah. And what I said is, oh, I get, I, I know what the problem is. You, you need to start selling, they, they need to be selling to the program officer, the program manager, as it was purchasing manager program, right? Because the purchasing manager only buys what the program manager specifies. Manager tells it, right, tells them to buy. Right? <clears throat> it's very funny you brought that up today. We were, <laughs> I actually had a call with a procurement officer this morning. <sighs> They then tried to beat me. Like we're at the final stages of the contract. They were like, "Well, I see you have a discount in here, but uh, what more can you do for me, Mike?" And I was like, "Nothing. The deal's already done. Like right. we, we've yeah. already gone through this." She goes, "All right. Well, we beat you up enough for months. Fine. You know, okay." I, I they, they, a, they, she wanted her piece of flesh, but well, I just couldn't. You know, you know what? I, I, I had somebody who, who I talked to on Monday. Uh, actually, a le- oh my God, knock off, you know, ring the bell. Um, a legit lead through chat. How about that? A legit lead through yeah. chat. Um, and, 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 and we actually we jumped on a Zoom call. You know, we were on chat, jumped onto a Zoom call. Um, he, he was, you know, he had been referred wanted to understand some certain things, said to me, yeah, okay, I got to talk to my, you know, CEO, blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, great. So, uh, you know, so let me do that. And then I'll get back to you. And I said, well, okay, that's great. Hey, why don't, why don't we, you know, pick a time later this week just to, you know, to check in. And he said, you know, Doug, I, I, I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to be able to, you know, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you get it. And I go, and I joke with him. I said, well, John, I mean, you know, you wouldn't know if, if I hadn't asked you that question, that, that would have disqualified me from consideration, wouldn't it? I mean, oh, yeah, 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 you know, right. And so like, you know, if you're talking to a procurement officer, of course they're going to ask you at the very, very end, like it's their job at the very end when you, you know, mentally put the money in the cash register to go, can, can we get 10%? Like, uh, you, that's their job, right? And, right, and, yeah, and, absolutely. Right. So, so, um, so what I said to him, I said, you got to be selling the program. And I said, and you got to stop. I said, now I said, here's my other guess. My guess is you compensate your salespeople on RFPs one. And he goes, yeah, of course, that's what we do. I said, right, well, your salespeople have nothing to do with winning an RFP. I said, your salespeople don't write the RFPs, do they? Don't, don't write the RFP response to it. It's like, no, no way. So I have an RFP response team that does that. Of course you do. They're responsible for winning the RFP, not the salesperson. The salesperson's responsible for causing the RFP. Or influencing the decisions of the RFP. No, no. See, there's no, you know what? There's no influencing the decision. That's bullshit. I'm going to call well, it. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying, no, no, no. I'm not saying influencing the decision, influencing what the, the architecture of the RFP. Fine. Okay. Right. Right. But, right. Right. No, 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 but, no, no, no. I agree with you. There is no influencing of an RFP. Then at that point, everybody's right. getting fired and everybody's getting sued. I, I said, I said, you need to compensate your reps on the RFPs 
that they identified before they're coming in, right? So you already know that the RFP is coming in, you know what's going to be in the RFP and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the job of your salespeople is to cause RFPs, not to win them. Your RFP response team wins them. He's like, oh my God, that makes all the sense. I, I, what I would have done, and if I were managing that type of team, I would, I would probably still compensate them on closed just because it's a, it's less risky, but I would quota them on, on cause, right? He comped them on cause and it changed the game. And all of a sudden, I mean, he, you know, I think he grew like 50%. He became the dot, like ended up buying two of his competitors you know, you know, that there, there's, there's that whole piece that, that again, circles back into, into what we're talking about. So I, I agree that, that as you move deeper and deeper into that sales process, I, I'm the first person to say, design your, your sales process so that salespeople aren't needed. When you have that, then salespeople get to be accelerators. But, but too often our salespeople are in process roles. And, and I do think that, that non-sales talent in a process role, um, that I, I don't think we can fight that. that that's where it's going. That, 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 you totally agree. Totally agree. Okay, we're going to do takeaways in a minute. Here, here's what I think is the most insightful statement of the entire piece. Leading CSOs, chief sales officers. And this is brilliant. This, this is worth the entire document. Must become leaders of selling rather than leaders of sellers. And, and more specifically, leading C CSOs must become leaders of selling wherever and whenever it happens, rather than leaders of sellers. That's a statement that I would tell you to think about. That, that is it. And here's, here's my suggestion. Stop talking about digital and non-digital. It's like sales is where marketing was eight years ago. Digital marketing, non-digital marketing. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't care if you're a millennial or the greatest generation. You don't think digital or non-digital. By the way, here's, here's my question. Is a Zoom call, is that a digital channel? It's it's a it's a channel, but I mean, but it, 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 but it, it, it is digital, but it's a it, okay. it's, a, it's okay. a mechanism to communicate. So so, and again, people are going to go, Doug, come on, this is silly. Is the phone, is the analog phone a digital channel? No, that's not a digital channel because salespeople have been using the phone forever. But but a Zoom call is a digital channel. So. What if your phone system's VoIP? Is that a digital of channel? Course it's a di of course it's a digital channel. No, it's channel. not counted as a digital channel. I know what you're saying. No, I know, I know, I know. So, so when we start talking about this, well, you know, what, you know, again, big numbers that sound really interesting, but, but what does that mean? What it means is become a leader of selling, not sellers, wherever it happens whenever it happens, be ready to engage the everywhere customer, um, position sales to facilitate complex, facilitate complex, buying decisions, right? B2B, B2B buyer environment uncertainty and purchase outcomes, um, likelihood of a purchase completion by degree of buyer uncertainty 
index. This is a thousand forty nine B two B buyers. Um, I don't know. I, and then there, there's a number on on the other part that I can't read. Low uncertainty one x. So that's the base. If there's low uncertainty, it's one. Moderate to high uncertainty, um, 0.7. This is, um, I'm, okay, that's just likelihood of a purchase completion, any purchase. Likelihood of a high quality deal. That is a deal that you get full value on. Um, there's an aspect about profitability, et cetera. I remember that it, CEB defined that. Low uncertainty, 1x. Moderate to high uncertainty, 0.5x. So you basically lose 40% of your Jews for uncertain, right? So for so, higher risk deals. No, not high. Well, I, okay. Well, that's interesting. If it's not that's a high risk, way, deal, I mean that's the way. That, that's if it's not a high I, risk I, deal, I, why do I need like a salesperson? Oh, I'm I'm talking about. Um, what do you mean? If it's a high risk deal, why do I need a salesperson? If there's no risk involved, just, why do I need a salesperson? to facilitate that process, but. I don't need a salesperson to facilitate a low risk deal. There's no risk. Do I need a salesperson to facilitate where you buy your stapler from? Where I buy my IBM from. <laughs> but that's a high risk deal. Well, I don't know, I guess we can. So what's high, what do you mean by high risk then? I'm, I'm buying a higher risk, a higher level. Me as the buyer, I have more uncertainty that this thing is going to do what I need it to do. Well, let me tell you where the uncertainty really is. The uncertainty is not often, is this thing going to do what I need it to do? The uncertainty is far more, am I going to do what I need to do to use this thing that does what I need it to do? Does what it did. Absolutely. Okay. That's, that's what a complex sale is. That's what a high consideration sale is, right? If I don't have that risk, if I'm buying a refrigerator and I know it will work, I don't need a salesperson to buy a refrigerator. I, I agree with you there. I need, I need good marketing or the, the company. I don't even need good marketing. Needs, the, the, the refrigerator company needs good marketing. Okay. Um, if, because at that uh, point, know, it's a commodity. You know, Carvana, I, I, I had my first per car purchase experience that I actually enjoyed. I bought from Carvana. You know why I enjoyed it? Only time I had to talk to somebody was when they showed up with the car to hand me the keys. And I had to tell them after my wife drove it around, yes, we're good with it. That was the extent yeah. of the conversation I had to have with somebody. Right? Uh, the the car was the car. I you're like that. It had nothing to do with 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 anything else, right? So so I think you know by definition to me, the lower the risk associated, the you if you the the low risk revenue that you create, you should be figuring out how do I make that a no touch experience. Okay. Uh, all right. So I get, I get what you're saying. I, I, okay. Absolutely. Yep. And you know what? All those salespeople that are that are making their money living off of those deals, guess what? The gravy train, you know, you're the dinosaur, look at the comp, okay? So, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I would agree, you know, lo low risk, then there's no real cost. By death. But so, so the question is, and this is what selling is, how do you take high uncertainty and make it low uncertainty, 
Right. So, so the issue is less about digital, non-digital, this or that. And, and this is where Gartner does have some really, really good research on it. It's about the job of the salesperson is to help people make sense of their environment, their situation, and, and, and decisioning. That is the whole idea of position sales to facilitate complex buying decisions. Their job is not to sell. Their job is not to communicate. Their job is to facilitate the decision process. Right. And by the way, I love what they said here. Position sales to facilitate complex buying decisions. They did not say position sales to facilitate complex buying purchases. Um, increase the digital skill sets of your sales organization. I do not understand why salespeople are afraid to look 10 years ago. People said you can't close six figure plus deals. You can't close seven figure deals on the phone. And I said, can you explain why I closed that seven figure deal on the phone then for me, please? Um, you know, everyone's talking about remote selling. You know what I call remote selling? Selling. Selling. Exactly. Exactly. Um, build a future forward sales technology roadmap. And, and I do agree, the number of sales teams that are still not utilizing technology just kind of blows me away. I'm just, you know, I'm- I'm, 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 I'm with you there. I'm totally with you there. All righty, there you go. So one more time, we are not gonna have time to do our, our question. We'll move that. So we'll talk, uh, we'll talk Salesforce um, and- uh, Slack. Slack, Salesforce, Slack. Um, we'll talk that next time. The other little known thing is they, they, they actually bought a services company the same day, Acumen Solutions. I did? It didn't make the news because it was probably in the tens of millions or low hundreds of millions that they purchased them for. But it was, this, it was the exact same day. All righty. So um, I know you forget every time. So hopefully um, this this morning we'll 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 get it to you. We're going to go to takeaways, and you give the first takeaway. So uh, come on, man! You, you're like destroying the sound effects. Let's do it again. All right, there we're you going go. to takeaways now, and you do the first takeaway. And Hannah, don't edit that part. out. First takeaway, uh, which I thought was great. That, that was in this report and also you mentioned is the job of the sales rep is to facilitate the complex buying process. Two, I love the component um, that you mentioned about hypothesis-based, not database, not, not data-driven, hypothesis-driven businesses or processes. So we, we call it hypothesis-driven growth or hypothesis-driven sales. I, I really, 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 really love that. And the, the, those were my two big takeaways. My takeaway and my tip is design your process. Um, David, um, David Baker tweeted the other day, sales engineers think fit, sales people think close or something like that, be a sales engineer. And he didn't mean sales engineer like the position sales engineer. It's, you know, those people who engineer sales and I, what everyone is, is missing, I think it's always been true. And I think with the complexity of where we are today, 
it is more true. Um, every process is engineered. I, you know, I always say your system is perfectly designed to give you the output that you're getting right now. So if you want to change the outcomes that you're getting predictably and sustainably, then you have to change your system. And, and of course, you will change your system if you haven't designed and engineered it because you'll never do the same thing twice because you will be, oh, why that happened? That was stupid. Oh, look, you know, um, you know, the number of times I ask a rep, why'd you do that? It's, well, because it worked last time. I'm like, okay, well, that's not a good reason. Um <laughs> Right. And, and, and when you do that, you can't ever learn. You can't really bring predictability. And, and if we're calling that intuition-based selling, I agree with you that that's, that, that that's a problem. So you can't have data-driven selling. You can't have hypothesis-driven growth if you don't have a, a, an engineered system. Um, because if you didn't engineer it, meaning you built it purposefully, you designed it purposefully, then you can't change it or adjust it purposefully. Um, you can't be the football team that makes a great adjustment at halftime. You can't be the baseball team that as they go from the first at bat to the second at bat, talking to each other, they make an adjustment or from the second at bat to the third at bat, they make an adjustment. And I mean, the, the, the Washington nationals won the world series because of the adjustment that they made from the second time of the lineup to the third time through the lineup. That, that wouldn't happen if there wasn't a plan, a process, an engineered process in place. And so it, it, it blows me away the frequency that there is no design to the process that is responsible for generating and retaining the revenue to enable the, your, you know, the, the company to run. And, and I think that is ultimately the output of our last two episodes. That is what this is saying. And I, and I would say that that is the, one of the main consequences. It was funny, I, um, you know, Scott's tweeting aspects of that report and, and he brought up like for all of the applications that we know about, you know, the, you know, he had the iceberg and it had his, you know, eight right, 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 right. Right, and I, and I said, wow, that's both exciting and scary. And, and he replied to me, he said, exciting and scary pretty much sums up everything about the technology environment today, right? And, and so the only way you get to okay in exciting and scary um, is by having a design process and, and, by, and by taking purposeful action. Um, you know, and as the old phrase goes, you cannot control the wind, but you can control the set of the sail. And, and, and the winds, they are a changing. And so you better have a system in place to set your sail or... Um, you know, you're going to be at the whim of the market. And, and that's not a place that I'd want to be regardless of my size. So that's my takeaway. Design your process. So uh, love it. And I, I didn't, I didn't get into my tip, but I, I actually um, wrote it down. If it, Hannah, if you don't mind adding this into the show notes and, and just to give you a little bit of kudos, Doug, again, as much as I hate to do that. No, give the tip. Um, Go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll well, no, 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 no. I'm saying get the kudos. Um, Definitely go read Doug's article on, I, I don't know the specific uh, title of it, but on hypothesis um, and use the term hypothesis driven growth. Um, but we'll link that in the show notes. And I, I think it's just a fantastic read for any, I mean, really any business professional that is out there. And that's my, my, uh, my tip. Thank you. And that'll do it for this episode. 
of the Black Line Podcast. Join us next time. We are going to talk about, unless something else happens, we are going to talk about the Salesforce Slack purchase and what that means and what we can learn from it. And we will get to, I promise, we will get to the um, moving and adopting inbound um, success on the sales side. Hey everyone, it's your podcast producer, Hannah, popping in real quick. For all of you still listening or watching, although the main discussion has ended this week, we have a bonus discussion that we happen to catch at the end of our recording. Let's roll into it. Hypothesis-driven growth, I, 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 that's a... You must not have ever been in the uh, in the magic quadrant for the distaste you have for... Um, uh, uh, no, we were, we were uh, a few times, but I looked to get into it. Why do you think HubSpot's not in the magic quadrant of marketing automation systems? HubSpot doesn't play their doesn't play their game. There's another reason why they're not in the in the magic quadrant because they don't sell to enterprise. They or, don't sell to that market base. Right. Um. So so but but what you can't do, um, with Gartner with Magic Quadrant, is you can't um set a marketing campaign to have your, you know, a hundred people from the one company that really likes what you're doing. Likes do what you're doing. You. Right. To do, <laughs> but you can give them all of your super happy customers to talk to um, when they're, when the analysts are doing their, uh, doing their research. Yeah, no, I, again, I'm not saying that there's no gaming of, but, but there is, there is some legitimacy to, um, what the, the way that I know people who use it well is they use it to, and it's kind of what you talked about. You know, if, if you think about the implication that we talked of, of last podcast, you go to Matt, you, you go to Gartner. If you're smart, you go to Gartner to narrow down to the three to five that you're going to spend time thinking about. Because what that does is it ensures that you're not going to make the worst decision. And let's be honest. First off, it's okay. I, that I, I will 100% get on board with. What I don't get on board with is some of the suppression that the Gartner does. So the, the, there is definitely some suppression there of mm -hmm. there's a, a little bit of pay to play or two, the executives that don't want to think at all and say, oh, well, this person's in the top right. I'm just going to go be lazy. But I will 100% get on board with, hey, I'm not going to make the worst decision. Well, and it's going to allow me to, to focus my energy. So, so, so here's what I understand. I do understand somebody who says, if you're not in the top, if you're not in the Northeast Quadrant, if you're not, you know, if you're not in the magic quadrant, then I'm not going to talk to you. Because if I only do the people in, in the magic quadrant, then I'm not going to make a bad decision. And most decisions are, I'm, I'm satisficing anyways, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we, and, and, and so that narrows down because you know what, you might not be there and, and it, you, it could be a really good reason and all that. And you could be like the best option for me. But the problem is there are a hundred others who would be a total waste of my time. And, that are, and, I, that are, and it, But it also goes into what we talked about this whole podcast, which is 
that's the role of the salesperson is to create to, to to create some level of actually that's the role of marketing interest or well it could be it can be it depends on the complexity so, of of, so, of the so, sale or or whatever it might be so, so by the way if 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 hubspot wanted to sell to the fortune 500 if they wanted to go enterprise i would tell them you better do whatever the fuck you have to do to get in that if you have to pay pay to get a break yep 100 percent Right. I don't, I don't, I, you know, um, if you're not going to be in the magic quadrant, then, then that cannot be your market there. And there are two paths you know, and, and, and that's why the, you know, the innovators path, the innovators dilemma path is you don't attack your competition in their front. You attack them in their flank. You come underneath, yep. you come to the people that, that aren't going to, you know, right. You, and, and, and by the way, because your product's not as good because you're not, you know, they, they can't afford or they can't justify the, the price of Magic Quadrant. I mean, frankly, if you're in the Magic Quadrant and you're not selling to GE, why the fuck did you waste all the money creating a product that would put you in the Magic Quadrant? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very, very fair point. Very fair point. Right? And, 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 you know, the key thing that gets you into the Magic Quadrant is there are people who love you and not a lot of people who, te- who say you're an abject failure. Yeah. Right? And by the way, you by no means have like it, everyone says. Yeah, they they're they're okay. Like if everyone says you're okay, you can be in the magic quadrant. Um, yeah, no, that, that that's very that's very true. That's very right? true. And 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 so that's also like where you know, you know, f- fish in the right lakes. So yeah.